Welcome to Way Family Church. You're listening to our sermon podcast. Way Family Church invites you to join us every Sunday at 10.30 a.m. for worship, the Word, and fellowship. If you would like more information, just visit us online at wayfamily.church. Now let's hear the Word of God as Pastor Brandon wraps up the book of Job. All right. Um, today we will conclude our Jonah series I'm going to invite you to open to chapter 4 of Jonah. Now, before we start, I want to tell you a quick story, a really quick story. Um, I used to live in Los Angeles, California, and if you're... Is anyone here familiar with L.A. at all? Okay. There's a street that I used to go on. It wasn't wasn't a pretty street. It was 3rd Street, but there's this barber there that my family went to forever. You know how you stay loyal to a barber, right? And so we used to go to this rough side of town just to go to the barber. And I remember one day we were, you know, we, you, in LA, you can't just find parking spot. You kind of have to like walk a mile sometimes to get to your destination after your park. So we're walking on third street and there's this mural, uh, tile mural on the wall right off the street. And it's of, of Mary. Have you seen like um, the Mary with like their spikes all around her? You know, do you know what I'm talking about? There's a mural of that and there's like flowers and whatnot in this mural. And, uh, uh, there was this, this guy who was just so drunk, like sad drunk. And he's walking by the mural and you can tell he's stripping and tripping and stumbling and he's mumbling under his breath. And then he says this when he sees the mural, he stops, he kind of looks at it. He observes it. He thinks you could see that he gets sad. Right. And then he says, mother mine. Kill all the stupid people, except for me. And I'm thinking, like, what did he just say? And, and he's just praying there in front of this mural, and he's literally crying out. You can tell from the bottom of his heart. He's like, kill all of the stupid people, just not me. What's interesting about this is that he was acknowledging that he was one of the stupid people, you know, <laughs> which I thought was interesting. At least he acknowledged that. But what made it more interesting is that You know, sometimes man's heart, man's desire is for God to smite our enemies, isn't it? It's it's for him to deal with those that we do not like or that we're just not pleased with. But we do ask for grace, grace and mercy over us. You know, it's easy for us to say, Lord, have mercy on me. You know, forgive me or Lord, bless me. I I want all of this, the the, the benefit of being your child. And I don't want the, uh, the, the grief or the heartache that comes with it either, you know. But at the same time, it's very clear man's heart is against our enemies and for ourselves. That's just the flesh. That's the sinful nature of man. And so we're going to look at that a little bit today. So Jonah chapter 4, we're going to read this. But before we do, I just want to give you a little bit more context. And And I didn't give you this in the start for two reasons. One, I hadn't landed there myself. And the more I'm preparing, the more I'm studying, the more I'm reading, I'm realizing there's more context to this. And I think there's important for us to to learn it. So in in weeks past, we've read and learned about God's calling for Jonah. He called Jonah to go to Nineveh. We talked about Nineveh a little bit, but today I'm going to give you a little bit more information about Nineveh. And God's call was, Jonah, you're going to go to Nineveh. You're going to call it against it for their evil has come up before me. That was chapter one. And then Jonah's instinctive reaction was to run from that calling, which is interesting because you're talking about a prophet, a man of God, 
why would he run away from what God has called him to? It's just, it just seems bizarre. So we call that the rebel, right? The, Jonah the rebel, someone who's literally anti-God's plan. And so what we know is that the Ninevites were a ruthless and violent nation. We've seen that. But here's a little bit more context. This is what I think is important for us to kind of help uh, sympathize with Jonah a little bit, because where, where we are right now, we read about Jonah, and, and, it's easiest for, and it's easy for us to say, Jonah, you're so dumb. You know, sometimes when you're on the outside and you're not in that person's shoes, it's really hard to understand why that person's responded the way that he is or she is. And so what I'm hoping to do is get a little more context so that we don't think that way so much of Jonah, but instead we realize that we're very much like Jonah, in fact. In 2 Kings, we read that Jonah served as a prophet during the time of King Jeroboam and King Uzziah. And that was approximately 780 to 753 B.C. What's interesting, and this is what just blew my mind as I'm continuing to study about this, is that Jonah was not the only prophet that was present at the time. In fact, there was a couple of other prophets that were serving at the same time, Amos and Hosea. Amos, more specifically, was living and functioning at the same time that Jonah was. And what's interesting about these two, and we can read it in 2 Kings 14.25, if you want to just note that and read it on your own. It says that the northern borders of Israel were restored from the offense that came from the neighboring empire called the Assyrians. And what's interesting is that Jonah prophesied that. Israel was going through a hard time. There was other empires that were trying to conquer that land. And one day, uh, the word of the Lord came to Jonah and he prophesied. He says, the, the borders of Israel will be restored. And in fact, they were. But what's weird, and I'm just going to say the word interesting again, is at the same time, Amos is prophesying that the nation of Israel was going to be destroyed. And so it's almost like two conflicting prophecies. And so it's this head, head scratcher. Okay, which one is legit? And back in the day, if you were a prophet, you, you were tested. You know, you weren't just allowed to say that you were a prophet. There was a lot that came before that to validify your position as a prophet. And so it happens. It so, it ha it, it, it so happens that Jonah was right. The empire, the Assyrian empire is busy fighting off their own enemies at the time. And so Israel, in the, in the time in the reign of Jeroboam and Uzziah, they're able to restore the borders of the northern kingdom. And so Jonah is, you know, he is, he is prophet, prophet approved, right? The prophecy came, came true. So then what of Amos? Well, you know God, you know God, we never know exactly when he's going to do what he says he's going to do, right? Unless he's very clear about it. And so now Amos' prophecy is that not only is Israel going to be destroyed, there's going to be a remnant. More exclusively, it's going to be against Ephraim, who was falling into idolatry against the Lord, and that the destruction would come from the Assyrians, the empire of Assyria. Now this, this is where it gets a little bit more clear. Okay, who are the Assyrians then? That's what we have to look at. All right, the Assyrians were an empire that were highly sophisticated. So if you want to go back in time a little bit and think of the Egyptians when Israel was were subject to them, Egypt was a huge empire. They were highly respected, probably the world's greatest power at the time. And then after e uh, Egypt, you see the Assyrian empire that's rising at the same level, if not even higher. The Assyrians were actually super sophisticated and large, sophisticated in the, in the part that they had systems and structures that actually guaranteed them success. However, the way they came by um, 
all this success, success was by very violent methods. And so that's what we know about the Assyrians. They were not hesitant to do whatever it took to conquer and command the country. In fact, one of their tactics was first violent, and then second, they would take a group of people and relocate it to another region and do this and that. And so nobody really was at home. That gave them the upper hand. That gave them uh, the ability to structure things that they, they wanted to. It gave them the ability to break down people's cultures, belief system, etc. This is what made the Assyrians super strong. Now, the Assyrian Empire had two major cities. Their capital city was called Asher. And the other major city of the Assyrian Empire is Nineveh. Okay? You see, see where we're tying in now? Now we're... Now we're seeing, okay, this is why Jonah didn't want to go there, because he's dealing with not just the violent people, but there's also a prophecy that these people are going to destroy his people. <laughs> the Assyrians are going to be brought up by the Lord to destroy Israel. That's what Amos declared. Let me show you a quick map here, uh, just so you have an idea. Here's Israel, Judah down here in the south, and then this green section right here, you see Assyria to the left. You have Asher and you have Nineveh. They're both cities, lush cities that um, were, were established right along the Tigris and the Euphrates rivers. So super beautiful. In fact, they were enormous for their time. We're talking about a civilization that was just absolutely amazing. It was a spectacle to see in their time. And so I, I'm, I, what my goal is right now is for you to be able to sympathize with Jonah a little bit more, get a little bit of context. It's not that Jonah didn't feel like doing what God asked him to do, is that there was stuff going on that really made him very hesitant. So you and me sometimes will come to a place where we have to make a decision, but instead of making the right and hard decision, we look at our circumstances and we're able to justify why we shouldn't do what we should do, right? And so why? Because there, there are good reasons. We can say that. We can argue that there are good reasons for us not to proceed to do a tough decision because there's X, Y, Z factor, and that could be a problem. All right. And so what we do is we build up the list and we convince ourselves, yeah, I shouldn't do what I actually should do. I'm not going to do what I should do. Are you following? So this is, you can kind of help. Uh, you, you, I hope this helps you understand Jonah a little bit. This guy wasn't totally crazy. This is a man of God, right? Okay, so that's, that's hopefully something that, that helps you uh, a little bit more context. And I, and I think it's very reasonable. In fact, if I really think of myself, if I put the book of Jonah in front of me and look at it as a mirror, I think it's reasonable that Jonah responded the way he did. I don't think that it's too far-fetched. You know, when you think about the context and when you think about, okay, what really is going on? And so last week, we read that Jonah finally made it to Nineveh. After several circumstances, and if you don't know what I'm talking about right now, I urge you, read the passage. So the entire book of Jonah is really short, just four, four chapters, and you can also go, go back and listen to previous sermons. But last week we read that Jonah finally made it to Nineveh. And when he got there, he proclaimed the word of the Lord. Now, if you remember, when he was in the belly of the fish, he was very quick to pray at that moment, right? And he, and he was all about praising the Lord for his salvation and for the fact that he saved them. And so it was awesome. And that was the first time he prayed in this whole situation. In this chapter four, we'll see he prays a second time, you know. But last week, he gets to Nineveh, he proclaims the word of the Lord. And we saw that the proclaimed word of the God brought heartfelt belief in Nineveh. 
this, this nation that he did not like, he was not for, because he knew that they were savages, let's say that, and that they would one day destroy his own nation. But he proclaimed the word never, nevertheless, and it brought heartfelt belief, it ignited prayer in that region, and it resulted in repentance. Now, what I find fascinating is that the king of Assyria actually dwelt in the city of Asher, not Nineveh, which makes more sense as to why the word, the word finally reached the king, okay? And so what I'm seeing is that there was probably like an enormous, Nineveh was probably like the epicenter of repentance, but it probably also seeped out to Asher and neighboring towns and villages in Assyria. And so if you think about it, this is a problem for the Israelites because there was an opportunity for God to smite them like he did Sodom and Gomorrah, and now they're being restored. <laughs> Wait a minute, God, why would you do such a thing? Why would you forgive a nation that is so violent and corrupt? Why would you do that? And so this is where Jonah finds himself. So he's doing the will of God, but his heart's just not there yet. And sometimes we do that, don't we? We're finally at the end of ourselves and we think, I'm going to do it but our heart really isn't in it because we're thinking of ourselves first and foremost. And this is what this passage does. It challenges us to think outside of that. And so we see Nineveh, they come to repentance, they're restored. In fact, chapter 3, verse 10 says, When God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, he relented of the disaster that he had said he would do to them. And he did not do it. Oh boy, if you're Israel, you wish he did. You really do wish he did, right? And so that's where we left off. So how did Jonah react to God's mercy over Nineveh? Let's find out. Jonah chapter 4, let's read the entire then. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly. That's his reaction. And he was angry. And he prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord, is not this what I said that I was, when I was in my country? This is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish, for I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me. It is better for me to die than to live. And the Lord said, do you do well to be angry? Jonah went out of the city and sat, and sat to the east of the city and made a booth for himself there. He sat under it in the shade till he should see what would become of the city. Now the Lord God appointed a plant and made it come up over Jonah, that it might be a shade over his head to save him from his discomfort. So Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant. But when dawn came up the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the plant so that it withered. When the sun rose, God appointed a scorching, east, um, a scorching east wind, and the sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that he was faint. And he asked that he might die and said, it is better for me to die than to live. But God said to, to Jonah, do you do well to be angry for the plant? And he said, yes, I do do well to be angry, angry enough to die. And the Lord said, you pity the plant for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow, which came into being in a night and perished in a night. 
And should not I pity Nineveh, the great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left hand, and also much cattle? I wish this kept going, right? It's like, where's the rest of it? <laughs> However, this is all we have. Like, you ended it with a question. Come on! You know, and so we have this passage, and I don't know about you, but the thing that popped out to me the, the most is, one, Jonah is very displeased and angry with what God had done, with God's compassion towards the people. To me, this is ironic. So we're going to talk about irony today, all right? It's just, just what's easy. Let me show you what we're going to look at. First, the irony. Then, the irony deepens. And then finally, the final irony. Does that help? <laughs> it is, this whole thing is just ironic. And so I want to go through it and, and figure it out. Okay, what, what is going on here and how does this apply to us? Because this whole book has been very interesting and this guy is just so weird, you know? But the fact of the matter is we probably relate to this more than we think or know. And I think it's important for us to understand that. So the first thing let's look at is the irony, verses 4 through, or 1 through 4. It says this. <clears throat> But it displeased Jonah exceedingly. Now, I want you to know the original term here in the Hebrew. Uh, this Hebrew term used here refers to evil. So a more literal translation would be, it was exceedingly evil to Jonah. Okay? So this reads, it was exceedingly evil to Jonah that God was merciful and gracious. Isn't that ironic? It's exceedingly evil to Jonah that God did such an evil thing. <laughs> think about that all right so this is where he is he's reflecting in the fact that god was gracious to his enemy and he himself thought that was the worst possible thing that god could have done and he in fact he labeled evil onto god and then it says and he was angry you know when you're a prophet when you're a pastor when you're a missionary when you go and you're sent onto the field the thing that brings you the most great joy is when someone comes to christ when someone surrenders their life to Jesus, that is what brings you the most. When you see a, rep a repentant heart, wow, it's just so refreshing and fulfilling and you can't help but to praise God. Wow, you're doing great things. This guy's angry, all right? And so now I hope that the context that we gave you helps. He's angry because he just helped his enemy prosper, all right? <laughs> and so he knows that these are the folks that are going to destroy us later. And so he does mention his own country. He said, oh, Lord, is it not? Is, it, is this not what I said that when I was in my country? You know, what is this? Or I'm sorry, this is why I made haste to leave to Tarshish. So here's one thing. We're going to give Jonah for being very honest and very transparent. I love this about him. You know, he's not softening the edges. You can see the relationship that he has with God, you know, and he's like, God, this is why I left. Like, I'm not sugarcoating this. This is literally why I did not want you to save them. All right. And so I try to get as far away as I possibly could. But the fact of the matter is that he did come to the Lord and he prayed, which is only the second time that he comes to pray the Lord. But his prayer is interesting. It's not the Lord, may your will be done like it was the first time. His prayer is now, hey, let me come up to you and throw a pity party. Let me complain. Let me just tell you what I really think. And what I really feel and how I really feel. By the way, that's okay. You can do that with God. All right. But then you might have a moment where he turns it around on you and he says, do you do well to be angry? Or do you do well to complain? Or do you do well to whatever it is that's going on? You know, 
God's really going to challenge us that way. And that's the work of the Holy Spirit in us today. And it's a beautiful thing. So by all means, bring your requests and supplications up to the Lord, for he is hearing and he is available and he is um, willing to answer you. All right. And so here he comes. He prays to the Lord, which I think it's fascinating. And then he goes on and says, I knew this, Lord. And this is just so ironic to me. I knew that you are a gracious God, merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Now, these words actually come straight from Exodus. After the, after the, um, the, the Ten Commandments, the tablets were destroyed because of Israel's sin. God gave Moses another set of, of commandments, of tablets. And so that's when this passage, they, they thank God and they, they thank him that he is a gracious God, merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. Okay, and so what Jonah is doing is referring to that time where God was gracious and that he really appreciated that. The nation really appreciated that. And now he's remembering, I knew that you were that kind of God. That's why I didn't want to go. You know, that's really ironic, guys. Like, that's weird. (laughs) But the more we look into the context, the more we realize that, okay, Jonah, we feel you. I feel you, bro. You know, I can see where you're coming from. And then it says, therefore now, O Lord, please take my life for me, for it is better for me to die than to live. Okay, let's stop there. Now, the irony gets a little bit deeper, but before it gets deeper, we're going to peel off the next layer. He's saying, I know that you're gracious, God, merciful and slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. Where was Jonah just a couple of chapters ago? He was being tossed out of a ship, right? He was in the verge of death. Jonah himself received this grace, this steadfast love, this mercy. He himself experienced it, and he was thanking him for it, wasn't he? And now he's complaining to God for being that way. Wait a minute, bro. Is it only okay when you get his steadfast love, grace, mercy? Or is it okay that your enemies also get this? Now, this is a good question for us to ask ourselves. Am I okay with God being good just to me? Or am I okay with God just being good? You know, so do you see the irony here? Okay, let's move on. The irony deepens. (laughs) Okay, it it gets better or worse. I don't know. The Lord says, do you do well to be angry? Now, what's interesting here is I'm thinking about this and maybe Jonah heard those words and he thought, it's not over yet. Maybe he thought that God wasn't decided yet, you know, because sometimes God says something, but you don't know exactly how he's going to do it or when it's going to happen. And so what I'm seeing is that Jonah, perhaps I'm saying perhaps opinion, perhaps that he didn't have to be angry quite yet because it wasn't over, you know. And so maybe he heard that question like, do you do well to be angry? Maybe you are up to something, God, something that I'd like to see. And so it seems that Jonah regains a little hope and because the end isn't clear and maybe the Ninevites weren't sincere. Maybe they didn't actually repent and maybe they would revert to their old ways. And so considering that, he goes and has a seat. He takes the nosebleeds bleacher view over Nineveh to see, okay, let's see what happens next. And considering the fact too, the message, what was God's message for Jonah to proclaim? That Nineveh would be overthrown in 40 days, right? And so what he does is he goes and he builds himself a booth. It says that. And so Jonah went out of the city and he sat east of the city and made a booth for himself. By the way, this word booth, this is a makeshift shelter. 
a very temporary shelter. In fact, this is exactly the word that was used when the Jews and the, and the Israelites would, would, would go and put up little booths during the Feast of the Tabernacle. It's Feast of Booths, okay? Makeshift shelters. He probably was really good at it because he's done it for religious reasons in the past. And he goes, he sets it up for himself, and he sits under it in the shade. And then he would just sit down and wait and see. But you know his heart. You know what he was hoping for. What was he hoping for? Hellfire and damnation. That's what he was hoping for. He was hoping for a Sodom and Gomorrah episode too. You know what I mean? Like that's his heart. Now you're thinking it from where you're sitting. Man, that's messed up, bro. (laughs) You know, how could you be such a wicked person? But he knew that this was the enemy. He knew what he wanted. And so here he is just waiting and waiting and waiting. Now, verse six, the irony just gets deeper. It deepens here. The Lord God appointed a plant and made it come up over Jonah. That's a cool plant, right? That it might be a shade over his head. Look at this, to save him from his discomfort. Doesn't that fit with that list of attributes of God that we just read in verse, what was it, verse 3, verse 2? This, this loving and steadfast, loving God and gracious and merciful God is growing a plant that he would save Jonah from his discomfort. Did Jonah deserve such a thing? No, this is beautiful. This is what a, what a, what a nice God. <laughs> nice enough to do such a thing for Jonah. But what he's doing is he's really fixing to teach him a lesson is what he's doing. It's, Jonah, you, you got to wake up from where you are right now. And so he appoints this plant and he made it come up, up over Jonah that it might be a shade over his head to save him from his discomfort. So Jonah was exceedingly glad. He was because of the plant. You see how Jonah just loves it when God's so good to him. Jonah's just so happy when God's like, thanks, God, you're, you're looking out for me. But then... <clears throat> What happens? When dawn came up the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the plant so that it withered. When the sun rose, God appointed a scorching east wind. Now, you guys know exactly what a scorching east wind feels like because you live in Tucson, Arizona. All right. It's hot. Right. It it makes you feel faint. It makes you feel tired. It makes you feel dehydrated. It's just miserable. Makes you sweat. Makes you angry and cranky. At least that's the effect it has on me. All right. Fortunately, you know exactly what that feels like. And so what I want you to see here is how God is constantly moving. Look, it says that first he appointed a plant. Well, actually, before that, he appointed a fish. He, now he's appointing a plant. Now he's appointing a worm. Now he's appointing a scorching wind. Do you see how God's moving? Do you see how God actually is almighty and powerful and sovereign over everything, including nature? Like, wait a minute, these are the things that man has no control over, and God's nevertheless moving through them, and he's appointing one thing after the next thing. And if you see it, you think, wait, that's not great, right? At at first hand, just at face value, why would you appoint such a thing? Why would God allow such a thing for me? And so the question comes, why do such terrible things happen to good people? You know, a lot of people ask that question. I'm not going to answer that question right now. But the fact of the matter is that God has control of everything, and he does it, and he appoints it for our good. And that's the bottom line. And sometimes it doesn't feel good, but the fact of the matter is is he's moving and out of love, out of compassion, out of mercy, out of kindness for us, he allows it to happen. And not just allows it, he appoints it to happen for us, which is amazing. It's incredible. It helps us understand God's attributes, his character a little bit more and how he functions. And it's okay. He's 
He's got the whole world in his hands and he's in the control of everything. And I can trust that because he's a good, merciful, gracious God. And so he appoints this scorching east wind and the sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that he was faint and he asked that he might die and die again. Now, this guy is, is a serious death wish, doesn't he? Like this guy seriously would rather die than to walk according to the will of God. He understands God to a degree to the point where, hey, you don't mess around with God, so I'd rather just die so that I don't have to do this. But why would he rather die? Going back to Nineveh, going back to Syria, can you imagine Jonah, the prophet that was sent to Nineveh, coming back to his hometown just to find out, hey, what happened, Jonah? Oh, God restored them. He's strengthening them. Why would you do such a thing, Jonah? I'm just imagining. What would his people do with Jonah to hear that he went and he helped restore their enemy? You know, he would rather die. He's a, he's, he doesn't want to deal with that. There's this fear of man that comes with it too, right? And so he would just, God, just wipe me out already. I'm just tired of this. Who knows what was going on in Jonah's life? But for him, he was done. He was like, God, just take me. It is better for me to die. And then, Jonah said to, um, and then God said to Jonah in verse 8, Do you do well to be angry for the plant? And he said, Yes, I do well to be angry enough <laughs> to die. All right? He's, Jonah's like, I'm so angry right now. I can't even believe you, God. I don't know why you are the way that you are, right? And the Lord said, and here, here's what we have to learn. This is the lesson for all of us. You pity the plant for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow, which came into being in a night and then perished in a night. What does that mean? That means we care more about the things that they were a gift from us from the first place. You know, we care about more of those little things that don't have eternal consequences. The things that are very temporary. We care so deeply about that that we're willing to like die for it, you know, and get angry for it. It's like, but how come you don't care for people? And that's what God's saying. You pity this plant, which is kind of meaningless at the end of the day. And should I not pity Nineveh, that great city, in which there are more than 120,000 persons? And it says, people who don't know their right hand from their left hand. And also much cattle. Apparently, some cattle got saved. That's amazing, you know? Like, think about it. We care more about the things that we can gain for ourselves. We, think, we care more about our comforts. We care more about the things that just bring us personal joy and we're willing to oversee others. We're willing to say, no, I don't even care if God blesses you or not, you know? And God's, what he's doing is, he's just really making him think. And I'm, I wish there was a chapter five, personally, to see what, what happened of Jonah after that. And I really don't know what happened to Jonah after that. But what we see here is that this is super ironic in that we should be looking at things differently or responding differently. It's like, come on, come on, dude, wake up. And then there's the final irony, and that's us, really. The final irony is that we often become just like Jonah. We too throw fits, don't we? And tantrums or mantrums, that's me. <clears throat> we look around us and we see that people have lost their marbles, don't we? Like sometimes when standing out on the road, we don't hesitate to say, that guy is a dumb driver. You know, sometimes people just have lost their marbles. They, we just don't know what else to say other than, what's wrong with you, man, right? <clears throat> Our inclination is to despise them. That's just with the natural man, the sinful na nature of man, and, and to get away from them. 
rather than to run to them with intention, with purpose, with love, with compassion, with mercy, hoping that the Lord will do great things in their lives. Do you see that? <clears throat> There's people who don't know their right hand from their left hand. These are the people who have lost their moral compass. That, that's what that means. They've lost their, their moral compass or perhaps they never even had one. You know how many kids I've come across that don't even know that some things are just wrong? They just have no idea because of how they were raised. And so some of those people long for good news and that's the fact of the matter. Another quick story. Years past, I worked for a, recovery, a men's recovery home. Guys who came out of prison, jail, out of drug addiction, et cetera, and they, they were brought to this program, and I was the, the discipler there, and I was supposed to work with these guys, and trust me, when I got hired, I knew nothing about this lifestyle. I it was so foreign to me, and these big, brawly guys were just tore up, like I couldn't even explain to you, all right? And the Lord taught me so much from these guys. A lot of these guys are living a life that's just rough and hard for them, and my heart at first is like, I don't wanna be around that guy, he's scary. Right? That's just the fact of the matter. That dude could tear me up. If he finds out where I live, he's going to take everything I own. Like That's just my instinct reaction to some of them. And the Lord obviously worked through me, and, and he, he helped my heart, and he helped me help theirs just to find out that some of them were longing just to hear good news. Like they didn't know any better. Like some of these guys became very close and dear friends to me. I've called them brothers and I still try to keep up with them and I'm concerned for them. I've let them stay in my home. My wife has opened our home for some of these guys. Like they've been so generous to us. Also, it's like, wow, God, sometimes we are just so blinded by our sinful nature that we assume things and we think that we know good from evil. And in fact, we're standing on the side of evil. You know, this is what the Lord did just through this experience. He let, helped me see and understand the condition of man and then also mine. You know, boy, did I have to really change the way I thought about these guys. And then after time progressed there, I loved seeing a new guy. The scarier and the uglier they looked, the more excited I got. You know, it's like, wow, let me, let me share something with you. And some of them were just captive audiences like, how come I've never known this? Why didn't I know they were just hungry for good news, right? And the, the irony is that we are like that. We, we just, the Bible tells us to be one way and we're totally opposite. We're blind, we're born blind, we're born bound, we're born dead. That's what the Bible says. Here's, here's the thing. A robust and biblical doctrine of sin, properly applied, will help us to grow in compassion. All right? When you understand how you fall short, then you realize, oh my gosh, I have to be compassionate with others too because I'm not very different from them. And if God was gracious enough to help me, I have to, I have to be willing to help them too, you know? And that's our first takeaway. So let's go there. Takeaway number one, a biblical understanding of our sin helps us grow in compassion. If you think there's nothing wrong with you, you're not going to be able to have compassion for others. If you think you're a big cheese and you have it all together then you're really going to look down on someone else, okay? But when you realize your shortfallings, your shortcomings, then your heart's going to break for others as well because you're going to be able to reflect there. You're going to be able to see, wow, that was me or that is me, right? And so that brings compassion. That brings a desire to serve one another. So a biblical understanding of our sin helps us grow in compassion. Biblical understanding, that's a key word too, okay? Before there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, right? but this is the gift of life that comes through Jesus. And so a soft heartedness or virtue 
you know, that we cultivate is, an, is after all a gift of God's grace for us anyway. So if we understand our sin, if we understand God's grace for us, then this soft-heartedness, this virtual, this virtue uh, will continue to just grow and ooze out of us. Look at what 1 Corinthians 4, 7 says. For who sees anything different in you? Like, who thinks you're all that? What you have, what do you have that you did not receive? If then you received it, why do you boast as if you did not receive it? Literally everything that we have, we received it from God. It, everything is a gift from God, including our salvation. All right. And so therefore, we need to be gracious to others because God was first gracious to us. Like, don't forget, you were a mess. You were lost. All right. <laughs> You're not better. <laughs> You're only saved by the by the grace of Jesus Christ. And that's it. You literally were on your way to eternal damnation. <laughs> so don't forget that. Ephesians 4.32 says, be kind to one another, tenderhearted forgiving one another as Christ forgave you. Don't forget that, all right? Because we do that. And I'll be the first to admit, I sometimes think I'm a little better than someone else, all right? And that's such a problem. We, we can't do that. So I praise God for moments like this where we're able to really check ourselves. The Holy Spirit stirs us, and He knows who needs to hear this, right? Takeaway number two, and this, is, this will come in the form of a question. Are you okay with God loving your enemies? Just think about that. Are you okay with God loving your enemies? Depends which ones. Ah, right. What kind of enemy? Are you okay with that? Don't forget, you were once an enemy of God too. Did you know that? I hope you knew that. Aren't you glad that he had mercy and compassion over you? Look at Romans 5.10. For if while we were enemies, we, rece- we reconciled to God by the death of his son so much more now, that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. We too were enemies of God, all right? Don't think that your enemies are worse off than you were when you were an enemy of God. You were in the same shoes, all right? And so much more is expected from now. Now that he has risen, he has just really up to the bar for us. And we're supposed to be his ambassadors, aren't we? So we're supposed to be the ones who show and display grace over others whom we consider enemies. And look at Proverbs 24, 17. Do not rejoice when your enemy falls and let not your heart be glad when he stumbles. Ah, you know, sometimes like Jonah, we, we just want to see hellfire and damnation fall on our enemies. Don't rejoice. That's not even what our heart should long for. What our heart should long for is what happened with God, with, with what God did. He was gracious and he was steadfast and he was merciful and there was repentance. That's what we should long for. That's what should cause us to rejoice is when our enemy is saved, when our enemy is turned around, not false. Got it? So are you okay with your enemies being saved? That's a good question to ask. Takeaway number three, the Lord will have mercy and compassion on whoever he wants, whether you like it or not. It's not even up to you. He will have compassion and he will have mercy on whom he will have mercy Romans 9 says this, I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. What that tells me is, God, you're totally in control just how you appoint what you want to appoint for our lives when you do it. That's sovereignty right there. Let's not forget that, all right? Likewise, he will also bring judgment on those he will bring judgment. So if there are people who need to be judged and people who actually need, you know, a little spanking, That's not your job either. (laughs) That's God's job. 
That's entirely up to him and not us. Romans 12, 19 says, Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay it, says the Lord. And then look at this, verse 20. To the contrary. See, sometimes we stop there. Vengeance is mine, says the Lord. <laughs> Wait a minute. There's more to that after that. It says, to the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by doing so, I will heap burning coals on his head. What does that mean, you'll heap burning coals? And that's like to elicit a response of shame or repentance. It's like you're loving them to the point where they feel bad. Not because you're making them feel bad, but because they're realizing, I need to step up too, you know? That's what that's saying. Love them. It says, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. God is good. Amen? All right. Do you see how... The book of Jonah is more than meets the eye. When we put it in front of ourselves, it's like a mirror that reflects who we really are. And we need to get a little hard check from this. We realize, wow, Lord, going back to a couple of weeks, you truly are concerned for me more than you are for my mission, for my calling. Thank you for that. That's actually a blessing. It's huge. Amen. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you, Father. For your grace, your love, your kindness and compassion over us. Oh boy, we, uh, we really, really feel like there's so much growth that's left for us to, to be able to experience it, to, to show, Lord. And we ask that you would help us with it. And thank you for this prophet, Jonah. Thank you that this was written for us to be able to learn from be able to understand, Lord Jesus, and how to apply it to our lives. And I ask, Father, that you would help us, Lord. Help us be merciful and gracious. Help us not be arrogant and narcissistic as how you extend your love and compassion towards us. Help us think beyond ourselves and onto those whom sometimes we just don't like or don't consider to be your heirs. And Lord, we just ask that you would change our hearts and help us Feel the way that you do and help us see the things that you do. Help us, Lord Jesus, just be overcome by your mercy and your grace and your compassion, Father, that we too would have mercy, grace, and compassion over others, Jesus. We love you. We praise you. Once again, thank you for your word. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen.